everybody. This is Steve, and we all struggle to see ourselves clearly. Okay, I'm going to pause this just for a second to let you know. This series is actually based on the lectionary for our Eastern Rite churches, uh, which is the same as the Greek churches. So um, he's actually talking here about the Sunday, uh, once it's one of the Sundays before Lent. So when he talks about today on this Sunday, um, it's because that's their, their lectionary. Um, don't let that throw you. The, what we're going to talk about today is the, the topic of spiritual fathers. So that's what I want you to kind of get out of all this. In this week's gospel, we find a parable you've probably heard before, the publican and the Pharisee. And in this week's epistle reading, Paul encourages Timothy to keep his eyes on his spiritual father and to return to the spiritual practices of his youth. Links, as always, are down in the doobly-doo. And remember to check out the intro videos we made for both Luke's gospel account and Paul's epistle to help you better understand the readings. You'll notice that, starting with this coming Sunday, we're moving away from the Lucan cycle of readings and entering the Gnodion period, which starts with the Sunday of the Publican and the Pharisee and ends with the midnight service on Holy Saturday, right before we celebrate Pascha and the Lord's resurrection. So this Sunday and these readings are really our first toe in the water as we begin to prepare for Great Lent, which itself is our preparation but the parable of the publican and the Pharisee can actually be a dangerous reading. Dangerous because we've heard it so many times before and think we already know everything it has to teach us. And dangerous because we can easily miss the point the parable is meant to teach. It can be so easy to hear this parable and feel relief. Whew, thank God I'm not like the Pharisee. I mean, I would never say such mean things about someone like he did. Thank God I'm not like the sinner in the story. But if we're reading this parable and experience relief rather than repentance, well, we're doing it wrong. Our comfort with this passage can cause us to miss the profound discomfort it is meant to bring. I mean, take a closer look at what the Pharisee said and ask yourself, what exactly did he do that was wrong? God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So here's a guy who's in church, who's not an extortioner or adulterer or a thief, someone who seems to follow the commandments. And not only that, he's someone who fasts twice a week and gives money to the poor. I hope that all sounds familiar because that's exactly what we should be doing. Sometimes we hear this parable and feel justified because we don't do the things the Pharisee does. Things that are meant to be good for us, like fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Still doing it wrong. So what's the Pharisee's problem? To answer that, let's back up a bit and look at the verse that comes right before this week's reading. Because it helps set the context for everything that comes next. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others... Jesus is offering this message to people who trust in themselves and their own perceived righteousness. To people who, in their pride, judge others, who treat others with contempt. Take a closer look at what exactly the Pharisee was doing when he went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. The guy wasn't even praying to God. He was talking to himself. 
was patting himself on the back for all of his great and virtuous deeds while giving a stink eye to the publican off in the corner. But the publican, the tax collector, did something very different. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican was humble. He was repentant. He wasn't looking to justify himself or congratulate himself for his good deeds. He sought forgiveness for his bad deeds. <clears throat> the publican didn't even try to make excuses for himself, for whatever sins were weighing him down. He didn't see righteousness in himself. He was looking outside of himself to the one who is righteous and asking him for his mercy. It was in measure to God's goodness, not his own, that the publican measured himself. We see something similar in the advice Paul gives Timothy in this week's epistle reading. You may remember this reading from episode 1, the first Sunday of Luke. Though here, paired with a different gospel reading, it speaks to us in a different way. Paul is giving advice to Timothy, the spiritual son. Remember that Timothy, though he's young, is a bishop and leader in his community. So Paul tells Timothy to continue looking to him as his father in Christ to imitate his way of life. Timothy has already observed Paul's teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, his persecutions, his sufferings, and Paul wants to remind Timothy that this is the way they are both called to live. Paul isn't being like the Pharisee here. He isn't speaking to himself about himself, trying to seem righteous for his own glory. Paul isn't relying on his own righteousness. He isn't pridefully boasting of his own virtue or goodness. Paul wants Timothy to look to him because Paul's own life is an image of Jesus' life. As Paul writes in another of his epistles, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. And Paul certainly imitated Jesus in the most difficult ways. He was imprisoned like Jesus. He was beaten like Jesus. And not too long after writing this letter, he was even killed like Jesus. As Paul lists the trials and struggles he endured, he's quick to point out that he didn't survive these persecutions on his own. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Paul encourages Timothy to remember this and to avoid the self-deception that others have fallen into. The delusion of false teachers who move from bad to worse, sinking deeper into their prideful and self-important fantasies. The delusion of the Pharisee who trusted in his own righteousness when he stood praying to himself. This self-deception happens when we turn inward, trusting in ourselves and our own abilities, relying on our gifts and forgetting the gift giver, as we discussed back in episode 17. And the antidote to this self-deception, which happens when we turn inward to our own ego, is to turn outward towards the one who is. Paul tells Timothy to return to the scripture which he has been reading from a young age, to ground himself and his life in the sacred writings which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But he's not telling Timothy to trust in the Bible alone, because to trust merely in a book and our own understanding of its meaning would be another form of isolation and of self-delusion. Remember, 
We've talked before about the way our mistaken interpretations can affect the way we understand what's in the Bible. So Paul doesn't simply point to Timothy to Scripture, but also to people. He tells Timothy to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Timothy was raised in a pious Jewish home where prayer and the reading of Scripture were incredibly important. And Timothy wasn't simply blessed with pious parents. He also had an incredible spiritual father in Paul, a wise and faithful teacher in the faith, a mentor who could help form Timothy's heart to accept Jesus and prepare him to serve the church. So here, at the beginning of the Triodion period, with Great Lent just around the corner, we need to open our hearts to the possibility of repentance so we can turn to the Lord in humility and ask him, for his mercy. And this involves opening our hearts to each other, to our parents, to our mentors, to our friends, to people who love us and can help us remain spiritually grounded, open to the gentle guidance and correction of others rather than completely locked within the deluded echo chamber of our own self-congratulation. And that especially involves opening our hearts to a spiritual father, to someone who, just like Paul helped form Timothy, help shape us into the faithful Christians God is calling us to be. Because on our own, we often end up missing what God is trying to say to us. We get too caught up in our own egos and what we think we're doing right to see how we could grow if we were willing to be guided, if we were willing to be truly humble. We've covered a lot of ground today. And to help work through what this all means for each of us, we'll end, as we always do on Live the Word, Three questions. First, who do you rely on to help pull you out of yourself and keep you on the right path? How's your relationship with your parents and godparents? Are there certain friends that help keep you accountable? Who can you open up to and share your pain and fears and worries? Second, do you have a spiritual father? Unfortunately, many of us don't have a spiritual father. Or when we do, it's only someone we see at summer camp once a year. Even if that person is far from you, can you find a spiritual father that you can speak to and confess to regularly? Third, who in your life is an icon of Jesus? Timothy could imitate Paul because Paul himself was imitating Christ. Who in your life is actively imitating the Lord? Who is struggling to live a life of humility and meekness and generosity? Because maybe you can grow closer to that person, to learn from them as you try to grow closer to Christ. We'll be back with a new episode on Monday. And my buddy Christian will have a short response video up on Thursday as he wrestles with these questions. I hope you will be... Okay. <clears throat> so, um, like he said, we, we covered, he covered a lot in the, that video. Um... Father wanted me to cover uh, the topic of a spiritual father, and bef there's two definitions that we use in the Orthodox Church for spiritual father, um, and we need to make sure we don't get them confused. In a monastery, there is the abbot, the yeronda, the elder, okay, and the monks do whatever he says out of love, um, and that's part of the monastic vows. You do what your, your yeronda tells you to, right, and he is their spiritual father, okay. That is not what we're talking about here. Out in the parish world, and, and we'll watch another video here in a little bit, in, in the rest of the world, where we are, um, a spiritual father refers to your father confessor, okay, um, who does not fill that 
all-encompassing role, right? Um, and one of the things we'll talk about uh, with that second question is, um, what is what is the role of the spiritual father in each of our lives? So I do want to have us cover these three questions. Um, for the recording, that was uh, live the word number 19 on YouTube. So... What keeps you on the path, or who keeps you on the path toward Christ? He talked about the echo chamber up here we get, especially when we're alone, and we, we, we delude ourselves. You know, they say, what, the best, the worst attorney you can have is, you know, yourself. <clears throat> the worst doctor, you know, you can have is yourself. Um, and the worst confessor we can have is ourselves. Okay? We get caught in that that echo chamber where we, we put a question out there and then we try to answer it ourselves and without external input we don't always get the right answer okay um, and this can lead us into some terrible horrible places all right I was talking to some uh, I was talking to Will Kant yesterday and one of the lessons he's teaching today is about you know um, if someone asks you uh, have you been saved are you saved and um, this concept of, of being saved as a once-in-a-lifetime decision, and, and, you know, that's it. And I was telling him I had a, a cousin, um, Southern Baptist, my mom's whole family was Southern Baptist, and uh, she, you know, yes, she'd been saved. Well, then she went on a mission trip to Africa and fell, basically. Um, fell in sin. And could not reconcile this idea of having been saved, but then yet grievous sin. And she became schizophrenic because of it. Her mind could not resolve that conflict. Right? And of course, in the Southern Baptist tradition, we don't have this father confessor, especially if your father's the pastor. You know, you know certainly wasn't going to kind of burden him with it and go to him with it because, well, you're saved. What do you mean you, you sinned? Um... So think about who in your life, you know, who, who keeps you on track? You know, some of you may be your spouse. Some of you may, may be a good friend. Um, uh, you know, who do you bounce things off of? And a lot of people quit Facebook for, for Lent. I can't do that because that's my godson and, and his wife are in Florida. That's how we communicate. And I bounce things off of them, Right? And um, so, and they bounce stuff off of me, and vice versa. So, it's important that we each have someone or multiple people best in our lives that we can bounce things off of. Of course, who should one person be that we should always be able to bounce stuff off of? The priest, our parish priest, right? Um, and one of the things we'll talk about is. Um, that, um, you know, that relationship is very important, especially if you're stable and, and in a town. You know, my, one of my problems has been, okay, I started out at St. Peter's. Then I went to, I moved to Dallas. Peter. Yes. I went then to, I moved to Dallas and was at St. Constantine Helen. Uh, then I went to seminary and was my first year at St. Mary Paul Tuckett. 
and uh, then my last two years at St. George Lawrence, and when I could get away for the weekend, I was at St. Mary Wilkesbury. Then I came back to Dallas, and I was at Holy Trinity in Dallas, and then I was at St. Constantine and Helen, and then I moved back to Boston, and I was at St. Mar Mary Cambridge, and now I've moved back here, and I'm at St. Peter again. So obviously, I haven't had a real stable parish life, <laughs> right? Now, I love that experience because I've been exposed to all those different parishes and all the different ways they do things and that whole, you know, all these different cultures, but it's not the model of stability that we look for in orthodoxy, right? Um, so if we are stable in a parish, then obviously we should be looking to the, the father of that parish as, as, you know, our spiritual father. That's the norm, that your parish priest is your spiritual father. Are there things outside that norm? Obviously, yes. Um, one of my favorite examples is um, Troy Polamalu. How many of you know who he is? Football player. Football player. If he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, it'll be a shame. Um, he's with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a linebacker. His wife is Greek, and so he converted. And he is a very devout Orthodox Christian. Um, in fact, when they came and played in the Super Bowl, um, his, his wife and family that Sunday were at St. Uh, Demetrius here in Fort Worth. They, they attended church. But when he's back in Pittsburgh, he and his wife regularly go to the convent, and they have a spiritual mother who's a nun, and they consult with her on their spiritual life. Um, but that's outside the norm, right? Um, so... The norm as a spiritual for, for, or having a spiritual father is it's your parish priest. Because that's where you are. That's your home. And also, he knows, he sees you on a weekly basis. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's affecting you, you know. Um, as opposed to, yeah, if you, you know, if I were to call a priest in Massachusetts, he wouldn't know what's going on with me for the last six months or a year, whatever. Right? So it's putting it in context sometimes. Of, yes, I know you're having a hard time right now. And I know why, because you've been telling me for the last 12 weeks you haven't had any money, right? That kind of thing. So, um, so think about who in your life you go to. Who, who keeps you in line? Who keeps you from, from diluting yourself in that echo chamber? Right? Um, and it's very important to have those connections. And it doesn't have to be the parish priest. The parish priest should be one person you can rely on for that. But it, there also should be other people in your life that you see the other six days of the week. Right? So, um, and then also, you know, this is not one of the topics he came up with, but think about are there people who rely on you that you're always giving advice to, that you're always, you know, and think about then the responsibility that entails. That, that, oh, I, you know, I need to make sure what I'm telling them is not, I'm not one, I'm not blowing them off because I don't have time for them. And two, that I'm thinking about really what I'm telling these people. Um, if you were here Holy Tuesday, you heard me talk about this. But I'm going to read this quote to you because it describes exactly the difference between the Pharisee and the publican. Um, which is what? What did the Pharisee have that the publican didn't? Humility. No, the well, publican well, had no, humility. Yeah. <clears throat> Pharisee had pride. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which um, St. John of the Latter refers to as vainglory. Vainglory. I love that word. Any glory we assign to ourselves is vain. It's in vanity. 
So St. John the Climacus says this. He says, The sun shines on all alike, and vainglory beams on all activities. For instance, I am vainglorious when I fast, and I, when I relax the fast to be unnoticed, I am again vainglorious by my prudence. When I am well dressed, I am quite overcome by vainglory. When I put on poor clothes, I am vainglorious again. When I talk, I am defeated, and when I am silent, I am defeated again. However, I throw this prickly thing, a spike stands upright. How many of you had sand spurs in your shoes? And that, no matter, you know, there's no good way to step on a sand spur. And that's what pride is. Pride is a big sand spur. In fact, I, we even talk about if somebody's being standoffish and all, we say they're being what? Prickly. Because it's just this big prickly thing, pride, that comes between us and sticks no matter how we throw it. And if we try to change our behavior, then we get pride, prideful again. So, the next question is, do you have a spiritual father? And to talk about kind of the concept of spiritual father, we're going to watch another video. He talked about his friend Christian would have a response video. I don't know if this is the exact response video, but this is his friend Christian. It's not Steve. It's not Steve. No, but it's Steve's special friend. How about that? <laughs> no. Oh, Father. His buddy. Oh, there we go. Friend. Called the Trench. With Father James Coles. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Trench. I'm a Christian. And today we're going to talk about having a spiritual father. <laughs> today I'm joined by my pastor and spiritual father, Father James Coles. Say hello, Father. Hello, Father. <laughs> I've asked Father James to talk with us a little bit about the role of the spiritual father in our lives, who they are, what they do, why we need them, like especially Aaron? when it comes to confession. Hmm? Which is he looks like Aaron? It's Lent, one of the things yeah. the church counsels us to do is to go to confession. So, Father, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm supposed to do everything you tell me, right? Without asking or questioning. Well, not exactly. You may be thinking more of the role of the abbot in the monastery, where the monks give to the abbot their obedience out of love. But in the parish, the parish priest doesn't serve in that kind of role in the same way, the same sort of function. In the parish, the priest is more of a fellow struggler who should know something about the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the human person. But you can read everything that's in my mind, right? Yes, and it turns out there's nothing there. <laughs> He talks about forgiveness of sins and healing. Could you say more about that? Of course I can. Then will you? Oh, I thought you were just asking. No, why would I just ask? So when it comes to healing souls and forgiving sins, obviously it's the Lord who does that and not me. Right, I mean, I love you, but you didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead. Christ did. Precisely. I'm not, nor is any priest, the master of forgiveness. We are stewards of forgiveness, as are you whenever you let go of some resentment and choose love instead. It's Christ who is standing there in the mystery of confession, and it's to Christ that you're confessing your sins. It's he who will come to heal and forgive you. Okay, so question. If it's Christ who's present in the mystery of confession, and it's Christ who comes to me to heal me and forgive me, why can't I just confess to him privately at home? Well, there are a couple of reasons. First, since Christ is both the healer and the medicine, it is my job to walk with people into the dark recesses of their hearts and apply the medicine of Christ's love. And in that way, it's important to think of a spiritual father as a doctor. What do you mean? Well, it's actually the medicine that heals you, right? Yeah, it's the right kind and the right dosage. Exactly. 
People go to the doctor and they expect to receive healing from their sickness. But if the doctor doesn't know how much medicine or where to apply the remedy, they may actually be doing more harm than good. And often, the best doctor is your local parish priest. Hot dog! <laughs> okay, so I have another question for you. Whose confessions are worse, mine or my wife's? Wait, are you serious? Yeah, those are worse. It's not a question of whose are worse. All of us have sinned. It's like what we say in the liturgy, that I am the chief of sinners. It's not my job as the priest to make you feel better or worse about your sins, but rather to stand with you as you make an honest examination of your own conscience, your own heart, and to confess your sins before God. So hers? <laughs> There's another reason that you don't confess privately, but rather with the priest. And that's so that the priest can remind you of God's love and pray the prayer of absolution. And you should know, too, that it is safe. The priest is strictly forbidden from ever sharing anything he hears in a confession. Alright, I bet you guys hear some pretty juicy stuff. <laughs> well, if you think sin is juicy, then yeah. So what have you heard in confession? The relationship with the spiritual father depends on strict confidence in confession. This keeps you safe from toxic shame over what you've done. If you're coming to confession, no matter what you confess, no matter how dark it seems, how deep you go into some kind of dark part of your heart, you need to know that you are completely safe and loved by God. Right, so then your presence in confession actually becomes healing in itself, because those dark places, those things that I'm the most afraid of, that's where I most need to experience the love of God. That's right. As Father John Bear writes, to plumb the depths of our own fallenness is to scale the heights of divine love. No matter how dark it gets in our hearts, or how far we think sin has actually reached, the love of God has reached further, and it's my job to tell you that. It's a pretty cool job. I agree. What's it say? I'm telling you that. Ultimately, the spiritual father is not a guru. The spiritual father is somebody who walks with you into the depths of your heart and proclaims God's love for you. Wow, so that means that we really don't have to be afraid of confession at all. And instead see that it really is grace, that the spiritual father isn't so much a judge of our sin, as much as he's a witness to our confession to Christ. That's right, and it's because the priest stands in need of the exact same forgiveness you're asking for. And that the priest, by God's grace and love, is a witness to this moment of forgiveness is only because the priest has himself received this exact same forgiveness. Having a spiritual father is important. Revealing your soul is opening yourself to vulnerability. And that's why the father confessor is like a doctor. You should be both kind and understand the ailments of the human soul. Someone who, like you and me, is also waiting for the sin dwelling in their hearts. But it's Christ himself who comes to us and heals us. It is the spiritual father who stands in Christ's place and shares Christ's love for us. So join the fight. Live Orthodox. Remember to like and subscribe. And join the rest of us inside the trench. Rest is bloopers. Okay, so um, spiritual father, not a guru, not a judge, but rather someone who is going through the same thing you are, that I am, that all of us are, right? A fellow traveler on this on this road to forgiveness, um, and uh, they made a couple important points. One is. Especially if you view the, the father confessor, the spiritual father, as a doctor. And think about the relationship you have with the doctor. You don't want to go to a new doctor all the time because then they have to learn you all over again, right? Um, and, and there's not charts, you know, 
when, when, when you go from one father confessor to another, there's no like medical chart they hand off and say, okay, well, here's this person's problems, you know, um, you'll, you know so you can get, in, you know, introduced to them. No, it's a, it's a brand new start all over again, right? So that's why it's important to have stability in that relationship. So if you start with a father confessor and, and he works out for you, then, and it usually almost always should be your, your, your parish priest. Um, then uh, that's that's a stable relationship that you want to maintain, just like you would with a family doctor or anything else. Um, as I said, there are very few exceptions, um, uh, but that's up, generally up to your parish priest. I mean, if he feels for some reason that you would be better served by going to someone else, then let him tell you that. But um, normally it is your parish priest. And so, um, and again, they're not there to judge. Everything is, conf- is, is beyond confidential. It is the seal of the confession. Um, cannot be compelled even in court as testimony. Okay? Um, that the courts have, have respected that. Um, That's how I confessed my nine-year-old yeah. to go ahead and do confession. Like, e- they can't even tell that stuff yeah. in court. Yeah, He's the like, priest will go to jail before... <laughs> priest will, yeah, priest will go to jail before that. Um, there was an effort in, in recent years um, where states passed um, child abuse reporting laws, but um, even those are are generally exempt for clergy. And where they aren't exempt, the, the priest will go to jail first. Not because they don't love your child and want to report abuse or whatever, but that's the nature of the confession. Because once it's broken, then it's broken. You know. So... Um, Then the th- the third question. Let me let me just ponder that to you to kind of take with you. Think about this uh, as you go. Who in your life is an icon of Jesus? Who who do you look to to as as kind of a model? You know, and it may not be the person who keeps you on track because that may be, you know, like the priest is a fellow traveler, you know, along the journey. And um, but it's like who who is your model? Who who do you look to? as a spiritual model. Um, St. John Climacus, again, when he talked about, um, you know, how do, you, how do we defeat, defeat this prickly thing called pride? And he said, Behold true, true, true Christian humility. In this you will be able to achieve victory over every vice by attributing to God rather than yourself the fact that you have won. And that's the difference between the Pharisee and the publican, right? The Pharisee attributed it to himself. The publican didn't even think he'd won, but he was attributing to God the quality of mercy. So, any questions about having a spiritual father? Comments, concerns? I think one of the things that having your spiritual father in your professor, be the analogy about the doctor, mm-hmm. you have to tell the doctor what's wrong. Yeah. And... and if you don't tell him everything, he can't heal you. Yes. And I think that's one of the... Yeah. The, it's it's getting to the core of it sometimes. And I, you know, I actually struggle with that because I had not been to confession in a long time. And I was telling Father, I'm like, I'm having trouble, you know, because I like to get to the core of things. I'm a problem solver, right? I don't want to tell you the symptoms of the problem. I want to tell you what the problem is, and that's what I need to work on. And um, basically he said, look, you know your sins. You know, you know, you know what the problem is, and so I think the other thing about that is most of us think of confession as a one-time-a-year thing we have to do during Lent, 
It's not. Um, in our Rocor parishes, they expect weekly confession, right? Um, the church teaches four times a year. And I think with that's also an analogy about going to the doctor. You know, if we haven't been to the doctor, like, I had bronchitis a while back. You remember I had no voice. I had not been to the doctor in 10 years. So I had anxiety about going to the doctor because I hadn't been to the doctor in 10 years. But once I went, it was okay. Well, the same is true with confession. If you haven't gone to confession in a long, long time, you may have anxiety about going to confession. But you know what? It's going to be okay. Whereas if we go on a regular basis, you know, every three months, then, it's, then it becomes almost routine. It becomes a regular thing. No, it's never routine because we're, you know, again, we're opening ourselves up. It's, it's an it's a exposure of vulnerability. And that's always difficult. But, again, um, if, it's, if it's a regular thing that, that you know is coming down the pike, and, and that, okay, it's three months, I need to go again, you know, and you build a relationship that way too then. But the good thing about confession is if you need it, it's there. If you need it, it's there. You don't have to worry about copay. And you don't want to carry that on forever. <laughs> There's <day>. no <laughs> copay for confession. <laughs> They should make one. <laughs> there's not. Your donations are always graciously accepted, <clears throat> but there's really no copay. Georgia to insurance confession. Mm-hmm. You guys didn't have to pay at your confession because I. Honestly, if you look. Honestly, if you look at the decline of confession, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, and the rise of psychotherapy, they were at the same time. Once confession stopped being stressed, then psychotherapy took off. I really believe that good prayer life could really help a lot of people with mental issues. Absolutely. But, let me caution you on this, too. There is a place for psychotherapy. Yes. I'm not going to be Tom Cruise and say that, you know, that there's no. no place for that. There is a place where if, you know, that medications and, and, and things like that are necessary. And a good spiritual father will recognize that certain things are beyond his capabilities and he will refer you to a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, okay, if there's a real ongoing problem. Um, I was watching a video uh, yesterday about um, one of my favorite shows ever on TV was called Babylon 5, right? (laughs) Babylon 5. Um, And after the first season, the captain on Babylon 5 was recast. New actor came in, and nobody knew why. Well, it turns out... And that actor recently passed away. And the creator of the show said, I'm now able to tell the story. Um, the actor's name was Michael O'Hare. And as the, the season went on, when he would get tired, he would become psychotic. He was showing psychosis. And they pulled him in. They said, hey, is this a, real, is this a problem? He's like, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll handle it. And, um, but then it kept getting worse as the season went on. And... They said, look, we will stop production. We will get you the help you need because it takes a few weeks for medications to kick in and things like that. And, and then you can, you know, then we'll go on. He's like, no, don't do that because I don't want to be responsible for everybody here losing their jobs. He says, I will tough it out until the end of the first season, which he did, which he did. And at the end of the first season, um, they recast him and they got him help. And he was good for a couple of years. Um, and then sudden, then he went off his medication for some reason, ended up in a halfway house, and um, had a heart attack and died like at 49 or something. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened, is that he had a true mental illness, 
and he stuck it out and he made sure and the season you know the show went on and they brought him back actually he was well enough that they actually brought him back two seasons later to finish his storyline uh, which they had promised they would do once he got treatment but uh, that's what happens and the re and he and the creator had said I'll keep this story to my death he says and the actor said no keep it to my death because I want everyone to know this can happen to anyone even the star of a TV show So, a good spiritual father will recognize those limitations. If he is not equipped to handle it, you know, um, then he should pass you on to a, a referral to a, to a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. Okay? Maybe even to another priest. You know, we have priests who are um, licensed counselors, so they're licensed psychiatrists, licensed psychologists. We have priests who are all kinds of things. You'd be surprised. One of my classmates in seminary was a pediatric trauma surgeon. And he would go to school during the day, and at night he would work at Boston Children's in the ER doing surgery. Right? But priests come from all different kinds of backgrounds. You know, Father, before he came here, he was doing financial planning. So, you know, after you confess, you can get your taxes done. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I came from IT, and then I did 11 years in delivery service, you know. So, who knows where, where your priest has come from. So, anyway, any questions? Any other comments? All right. Appreciate it. Thanks.